Good morning, and if you're just tuning in, it is Talkback Gardening on ABC Radio, Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. John Lamb and Lee Radford with you. It's going to be a stinker today, John Lamb. 38 degrees in the capital city and a darn side hotter in other parts of the state. Captain Rule, good morning to you. Good morning to gardeners, yes, and I suspect half our gardening audience is already out on the garden watering. And why not on a day like today? It's very important that the plants do get enough water on a hot, hot day. But it's the way you water that's important. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning with our guest, Richard Wilson. And very shortly, we'll say good morning to Richard Wilson. He's a, an irrigation consultant, an installer, and mm. uh, he was a former lecturer <laughs> at uh, Herbray. And he just has wonderful practical knowledge about the way with water. And we've got to look at it from the plant's point of view. How does a plant actually use water to keep itself cool? And knowing that, we can then work into the different kind of watering systems that you've got. But that'll be shortly. And I'm sure there'll be lots of questions. So if you'd like to ask Richard a question about your gardening, your garden, your watering, one three hundred triple two eight nine one is the number to ring. One three hundred triple two eight nine one. You can always text us zero four six seven nine double two eight nine one. Seven minutes past nine this Saturday morning. Um, into irrigation, John Lamb? Yes, we've just had a, a fairly warm week. We're about to have a heat spike, cool tomorrow, another heat spike, and uh, then on it goes <laughs> during February, January and February. And it raises the question, because you and I can retreat inside into the uh, comfort of air conditioning, hopefully. I'll be doing that today. <laughs> certainly a lot of people will be doing that. But what about the plant? It sits out there in the sun, got nowhere to go. <laughs> How does the plant keep itself cool? Good morning to you, Richard Wilson. Morning, Lee. Morning, John. Morning, listeners. And welcome back to Talk Back Gardening. Last year we had to, you were talking watering or the uh, year before? I was on the, the, year I was on the phone in my backyard <laughs> a year or two ago during that oh, phase COVID. of history. Oh, yes, yes, yes We yes, all remember yes, COVID. Yes. Look, want to forget it too. Okay, so look, it raises the question. Um, we keep on sort of saying the magic elixir is water. You've got to water the garden. But how do you water the garden? And before we answer that question, we need to know what does a plant do with the water? How does the, if there's water in the plants, in the soil, but how does the plant keep cool? The plant keeps cool by pumping water up from the, um, the water reserve in the, uh, in the soil or the potting mix or wherever the plant is based, pumps it up through the plant and um, the water is being transpired from the leaves. So it effectively works like an evaporative air conditioner close to the surface of the leaves. It's like the old cool garly safe. Uh, exactly right. <laughs> okay, so there it is. The water comes up via the plant and out through the leaves and it uh, creates that cool air around it. And uh, we then come down to the fact that we often say uh, a plant that's in the sun, that's a healthy plant, and it's got plenty of water in the soil, won't stress. But sometimes it does. Why? Well, it certainly will because the plant is unable to pump up enough water to keep that air conditioning effect going on a really hot day. And just like, uh, just like I feel mid-afternoon on a really hot day, I'm, I'm stressed and just can't take on enough moisture. And a plant is exactly the same. And a tough plant growing under those conditions should recover in the evening, providing there is enough moisture in the reserve in the soil. 
We can see the canopy, we can see all the leaves, we can't see the root system. Talk to us a little bit about the balance between the canopy and the root system and why that needs to be in balance if the plant needs to stay cool. Oh, I very much see that, particularly with, uh, with very large pots where people have enormous plants in pots and the more leaves that are on the plant, the, the more moisture is required to keep those cool every day. Um, so the bigger the plant in the pot, the pot can only hold a certain amount of moisture. So you might find you even need to top that up a number of times a day due to the very large canopy. And sometimes one of the strategies to assist that is to reduce the canopy. That's a point that Ian Tolley, citrus expert, often stresses in saying, look, John, uh, people have got their citrus in containers and the volume of the canopy is too, too large and if they chopped it back, you're saying exactly the same thing. I, I would exactly echo that. And so it's the balance between the canopy and the roots. Yes. Okay, so in the uh, pot plant you can do that, but what about uh, plants growing in the soil, vegetables, the uh, tomatoes growing in the garden soil? Um, how important is it there to have a decent kind of a root system? Uh, it's absolutely critical because the, the uh, plant is only able to resist the, uh, the heat, the symptoms of heat, providing it can pump enough water. If you don't have a good soil structure and a good, successful, healthy root zone, there, there won't be enough water available that the plant can pump. So you can do a couple of things. One is you might uh, choose to shade that plant during the day. And I throw a bit of shade cloth over my tomatoes on days like this. Um, you might choose to reduce the canopy. You might also choose to do everything you can to keep the soil cool and keep the moisture within the soil. Later on, if we have time, I want to talk to Lee about how I water my plants. And I've got around about 200 plants in my little courtyard. And, uh, yeah, one of the things I did is exactly what you did. I've got all these uh, plants which I'm experimenting with and I want colour in a shady uh, courtyard. But it's, uh, it gets sun in the middle of the day. And so about half of the plants that I've got in my courtyard have been moved into the shade. And I haven't missed one yet. <laughs> <laughs> well so, done, John. Good luck or good management, yeah. John Lamb. Oh, well, uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I listen to people like Richard Wilson <laughs> and I learn so much. Uh, so, uh, okay, so we come back to that. Uh, and our guest, of course, is Richard Wilson, irrigation uh, consultant. And, Lee, we need some questions Yes, we in. do. If you'd like to ring in and ask Richard a, a question about your garden and your watering in particular, 1300 222 891 is the number. You can text 04679. Nine double two eight nine one, but we'd love you to ring one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Just a quick text. I might just squeeze that in first. Um, that our texter says, and this is Matt from Seaview Downs. Thanks for your text, Matt. Uh, hi, Lee and John. Uh, can you please ask your irrigation expert, Richard, how long does it take for twenty to uh, ten to twenty year old fruit trees after watering for the water to infiltrate the tree? To be of benefit, I think. Uh, I, I think the, the the essence of the question there, uh, Richard, is um, how much and how long do you need to water for to make it effective for a tree of that age? Or Lee could also be how big is the root system? You well, and that was yeah. oh, that's a beautiful question coming in because that was exactly the area that I wanted to talk to Richard. But talk about the, that particular point, if you wouldn't mind, the, Richard. There. That is a great question, Matt, because there are many, many factors that you're covering in that question. 
some of the factors that we'd be considering are what is the delivery rate of the water that's applied? How long is it applied for? What is the soil type uh, that your tree is growing in? Um, how deep is the root system? How extensive is the root system? And is the plant mulched correctly? So the short answer to all those things is it is much better to water for a long time and get the water deep down into where the root zone is. And for a 20-year-old fruit tree, that could be down to as far as a metre into the soil. The top couple of inches is going to dry out with evaporation on hot days. So we definitely want to force the water further down into that. On a heavier soil type, we might need to deliver the water very slowly so that it can infiltrate correctly down to that low zone. You may even need to water two or three times with a little uh, pause in between if the soil won't take up the water any further. Um, following that, it's going to take some time before the plant can make use of that water and move it up into the canopy. So watering very early in the morning um, underneath the canopy or late at night underneath the canopy without wetting the leaves would be good strategies to get the best out of that water. My concept is to water the night before. That gives the plant overnight to be able to fill up it, its system and becomes quite turgid and it looks nice and healthy in the morning. Would you, would you go along with that or it doesn't really matter? Uh, no, I would go along with that depending on the method of applying the water, John. Of course. Um, if you're applying the water underneath in the form of a dripper or an emitter that, uh, where the water moves downwards from the, from the emitting device, I, I don't think it matters much what time of day you water. Mm -hmm. And I, I certainly agree with getting the benefit of the cool air overnight to make the plant turgid by the time the warmth of the sun comes along. Yes, and again, I suspect I'm talking about plants in containers where uh, you've got to, uh, by the end of the day, it, it, it's running out of water. And so if you water, top it up, and then by the mor next morning, it, it, it's looking good. And then by the afternoon, it's starting to say, where's the water again? Now, um, that... Sorry, go so, on, Richard. Sorry, that's true, but but it's also um, it's also important with the quality of the water you're uh, watering with. If you start um, applying quite saline water through a sprinkler ah. system, for example, yes. during the middle of the day, that may not be your preferred option. Um, and you'd also be thinking about fungal diseases and those types of things. So if you're applying water to leaves, you may prefer to do that first thing in the morning. Sun comes up, dries off the leaves reducing the risk of fungal disease. Okay, well, I'd like to take a look at different kind of plants in the garden and where the root system is, say a lawn versus a, a tomato versus, a, you, know, you mentioned the citrus, but I think questions are starting to come in, so they let's take, uh, give them priority. Lee. I think we might go to some of our callers who are patiently waiting. They've rung in on 1300 991 this morning. So, Richard, our first caller for you is Brian from Blackwood. Good morning, Brian. Uh, good morning. Um, Richard, as I understand it, the um, leaves of a plant use the same pores to remove water from them to cool as they use to take in CO2, which they use for food. Now that we have CO2 of a much higher level than we used to have, uh, is it possible that a plant can get the same amount of nutrient from the CO2 and open its pores less so that we have plants using less water 
than they did before the rise in CO2. Now, that is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> what do you reckon, Richard? That is interesting, Brian, but I'm probably not the man to answer that. I would think that a botanist or a plant scientist would be the person who could give you a definitive answer. Yes, if wow. we can find a, a botanist, if there's somebody who'd like to volunteer and talk mm. about plants, tomatoes and how they breathe and how they uh, take in the oxygen and the change in as we get more CO2 in the air, the, the effect of that. If there's somebody there that uh, I, I have a reasonable number of mm. contacts, but somebody would like to sort of either dob somebody in or tell, give me a It would a be interesting number. to follow up, John, because yeah. I remember in interviewing an agricultural researcher, this would have been 35 years ago, I reckon, and, and, he, and I asked asked him at the time, I mean, you know, with uh, what's happening with the atmosphere and increasing levels of carbon dioxide, potentially what does that mean for cropping? Well, it um, means more vigorous crops. Yeah, and uh, that, that was plants. his answer. He said, that, you know, that actually might be an upside going forward. Yes, that, well, there is. Yeah, that, that's one of the advantages of more CO2, but <laughs> apart from <laughs> the disadvantages of it, that uh, that the plant can take in the CO2 and uh, and and it, it, it then, I suppose, is more vigorous growth. But enough for me. I want to get back to Richard um, <laughs> and other questions. Yeah, yeah. you're happy there. Uh, Absolutely. So let, let's move on to Barmera now, up in the, the mighty Riverland region. Bob is on the line. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. What's your question for Richard? I was just interested in uh, the percentage of water taken in that's used for photosynthesis versus transpiration. <laughs> oh, another technical uh, question. Uh, I think, uh, yeah. Getting I mean, all the they're, tough they're, ones these this are morning. These good questions, <laughs> yeah, and I'm, I'm making a note of them. But uh, Richard is a person who is a, an irrigation consultant and, and he installs irrigation systems. As opposed to a plant physiologist. Yeah, and I suppose I'm being a bit mean and sort of saying, can we look at it from the plant's point of view? But I'm looking at it from the plant's point of view, how they actually uh, take the water in and, and what we need to get round to in our discussion is, is the root system and what kind of a root system, watering system will give us uh, give the roots the water uh, where they want it and when they want it? But uh, we'll get to that soon. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I don't think we can give uh, Rob an, an answer on that one. No, no worries at all. You're listening to Talk Back Gardening. Our special guest this morning is Richard Wilson from Adelaide Pumps and Gardens, taking your questions about irrigation. Richard, let's take a look at those roots and where they are. And I suppose if we know where the roots are in, in the soil, then we know uh, if that's where they are, that's where we've got to put the water on. And then we need a, a, a watering system that will put the water where it's required. So let's take a look. Uh, just a, a ho-hum lawn. Where are the lawn roots mainly? If you've got a good, healthy, growing uh, patch of turf, the roots in, in a warm season turf type, and those three main types that you'd be aware of um, are cooch, kaikuyu and buffalo, the roots are typically uh, 20 to 30 centimetres deep. They, they are really deep, and I've seen them as deep as 50 centimetres deep. So if you can get the water down deeply into that root zone... Uh, you're going to get much more bang for your buck from your water. So many people have a an irrigation system, a little pop-up sprinklers, and it comes on for 10 minutes. And only <laughs> what, what, what's the consequence of a little sprinkler, a, a little uh, El Cheapo sprinkler that only waters for 10 minutes? What happens there? Oh, it's not necessarily El Cheapo. And 30 years ago, that's what everyone had. And, and it's not a bad thing. Um, and at that time, water was cheap. And you just kept applying it until your grass was green enough um, and then you were satisfied. But these days things have changed a bit. We're more aware of the, um, 
the cost of water. We're more uh, thinking about the efficiency of delivering water evenly over a given area. So if you're on a heavier soil type, you might choose a different sprinkler these days, which is more efficient and applies the water much slower so that the water is able to infiltrate into the soil profile correctly, where the previous type of sprinkler that everyone would have been aware of, uh, and many people still have, um, they apply water very, very quickly and as fast as 35 and 40 millimetres an hour equivalent rainfall. And there's very few soil types, except perhaps down at the beach, that can take up that water at that rate. So you might need to do um, a number of five or eight minute cycles uh, in order to water for long enough. And long enough for me uh, in one watering cycle is, is somewhere around the 20 millimetre mark. All right, so probably the best thing is after you finish watering, and that mean might mean taking on board what you're saying, is uh, putting on the system two or three times during the day to give it a good system. Uh, presumably, if you've got a little trowel and chase the water down, it would give you a pretty good indicator as to whether you're getting uh, the 20 or 30 centimetres of, of moisture in, into your water, well, into well, your you, lawn. You could do that. That sounds like hard work to me. Um, <laughs> I'd probably put out a couple of tin cans and... Uh, and then see how much you, see how much you catch in it. <laughs> that's much more scientific. Oh, that's easier. The, yeah. tin, the tin cans, you will need My to have friend, straight sides. A friend of mine calls that the dog bowl method. Got a dog bowl outside. How much rain have you had? Oh, half a dog bowl. <laughs> that's, uh, that's as good a method as any, I reckon. I like that one. Okay, so let's move from the lawn uh, to our vegetables. Mm. Uh, we'll use tomatoes as an example for cucumbers and zucchinis and all those kind of things. What would be the average depth of a tomato root system? Uh, well, you'd, you'd know that from when you pull them up. <laughs> and it's a very important thing to observe your uh, your veg- vegetables when you, when you uh, change over your vegetable patch from summer to winter. And you can see with a tomato and corn and whatnot how, how extensive the root systems are. So I'm very mindful of deep watering. Once established, mm. new plants, of course, the roots are shallow and small. And, and if you've got a lettuce, it's maybe 10 to 15 centimetres. But... You know, um, those bigger, those bigger self-supporting plants really do have quite extensive root zones. So you need to water deeply to get the best out of it. All right, and just uh, briefly, say shrubs. People sort of got nice little shrubs, uh, a metre high or a metre and a half high. We won't go into trees in today's program, but uh, uh, just a, a, an ordinary ho-hum shrub. Are we talking about Leeds hydrangeas? <laughs> I'm not well, sure I want to this morning, given what John said earlier. Yeah, the, uh, yeah the hydrangeas would be a good example, Richard. Uh, well, perhaps so, but I see far fewer of them these days. And even my mum, who's a hydrangea lover, has really culled the amount that she oh, has no. for the for the <laughs> um, for the amount of effort required. So yeah, it's true. Um, it is true. You know, when, when you, I heard you talking earlier about whether you plant differently these days to what you may once have done, I, I'm very mindful of that. I'm, I'm only planting plants myself that are uh, very water-wise and um, they don't tend to suffer as much in the heat. And, um, you know, so the, the root zone depth of, of one metre by one metre shrub, yep, I would think would be uh, about a metre outside the uh, trunk of the plant, so a, a total diameter of a metre, and maybe 40 centimetres in depth. That can vary with the plant, of course, and some plants are very, very efficient at drawing the last little bit of moisture from the soil. Yes, and that's the concentration, the greatest concentration of roots would be in that probably 20 to 30 centimetre layer? Or maybe even a little bit shallower. 
but there's certainly some routes further down that are drawing water. Yes. Now, let's go to the text line, Richard, because there are a number of questions here that have come through on 0467 for you. Now, the first one is from Bridget. She says, uh, hi there. I've got, this could be John Lamb asking this question. Uh, I've got a shaded courtyard with lots of pots, about 100, she says. Would installing an overhead watering system be a good idea or not, Richard? Hi, Bridget. I, th- I, I think watering 100 pots would be a real labour of love. Um, I'd battle to get out there and do that um, as often as I would need to, I would think. So in that case, I think a an overhead irrigation system or or a ground-level irrigation system with emitters in, in each pot would be a very good idea. It'll, it'll be a bit of an effort to set it up initially, uh, but, I, but I think if you're planning to keep them for a period of time, um, that would save you a lot of effort, particularly on the hot days when it's unpleasant out there. Yeah. Now, another question for you, Richard. Uh, hi, we live on a farm with a bore and a dam. Uh, is there a good filter that we can add to our irrigation system to stop the drippers blocking up regularly, asks Malcolm Bergman from Kenton Valley. Hi, Malcolm. It depends whether the uh, the drippers are blocking up due to um, due to sediment or, or a solid material in the water, which would, um, which would block a emitter but would also uh, be filtered out with a filter. On the other hand, if the problem is the quality of the water and it's the calcium and whatnot in the water that's drying in the emitter, uh, a filter won't, won't change the properties of the water. A filter is a mechanical thing. So you would ideally, um, if you suspect it is a solid material, you would ideally uh, contact the manufacturer of your uh, drippers and ask what size filter is required for those and then put in that size filter. Um, you may need to have a pre-filter as well, depending on how dirty that water is, um, to make sure that your uh, fine filter doesn't block up too regularly. Now, another question on the text line for you, Richard, uh, and an enthusiastic one, really. Um, our texter says, glad to have this guest. Uh, no one ever addresses my question. Is there a basic formula so as to adequately wet soil in pots? For example, if I have a bucket-sized pot, nine litres, how much water will be enough? I always seem to have a lot of runoff, which is a waste of water. Also, how do I water when applying sea soil? Before dose or after dose, and how much time before or after? Asks George from Clarence Garden. So there's a, a number of questions there for you, Richard. What do you think? Hi, George. The the how effective uh, you are able to be with watering a pot is pretty much determined by the potting mixture and the length of time that pot is spent in the plant. Uh, that plant is spent in the pot. If you're finding that the water is channeling and running through the pot almost immediately, I suspect that you're not wetting up the um, the potting mixture properly. Um, you may need to soak that plant in a bucket for even a couple of hours to try and re-wet that soil. Would or, you use a soil wetting agent to help? Or alternatively, uh, as you say, John, you might go for a liquid or a granular soil wetting agent. And these days, that's something I use as a matter of routine in um, in pots and in areas that I'm heavily cultivating, such as um, such as my vegetable bed where I'm using lots of organic matter. I find these places become non-wetting uh, reasonably easily, um, so that would certainly have an effect on how well you are able to water your pot. 
In terms of the sea salt, I, I apply sea salt either in a spray type arrangement attached to the end of the hose. And you may have seen those type of things at the hardware um, where, where it injects just the right amount of um, sea salt into the water to be able to achieve that task for you. So it is part of the watering process. Um, so I would, I would probably just continue to, to apply water in that way um, with Seasol. And could I just mention there are other brands besides Seasol which are just as effective as, uh, as that particular product in terms of what it does in terms of stimulating the plant and protecting it from heat and things like that. A absolutely. And those type of products are really, really good. Um, they're certainly not something to be uh, used in a higher concentration than recommended by the manufacturer. But those types of things and soil wetting agents, particularly in pots, are of great value. Sure, and seaweed products are not fertilisers, they're stimulants. And mm. I'd like to come back to the way you water pot plants later on, because that'll come out if we have time in the way I water my plants, which is quite radically different to putting the water, uh, spraying it on the top, but more about that later. Yeah, uh, I look forward to hearing I, about I, that. I, I, when, oh, have you got more? Uh, no, I was just going to say, if you'd like to ask Richard a question, mm. we actually have plenty of free lines at the moment, one three hundred triple two eight nine one, one three hundred triple two eight nine one. 222 We are getting quite a few texts on the uh, questions on the text line, though, John, but uh, yes. please continue. No, well, well, we've sort of said, OK, look, the magic elixir is water and uh, the, the plant can take the, the, the water up through its root system and uh, out through the leaves. That keeps itself cool and we need to be uh, mindful of the root system itself where is the roots and uh, uh, and different plants have uh, roots at different depths so if we know that then it's a matter of which kind of system we use and uh, I suppose there are many ways of watering a plant and you can either have a, a basin around the plant and fill up the basin or else you can uh, walk around with a little wand uh, on the end of a hose and, and, and uh, water your plants that way. Um, and then with the, or, we've got sprinklers and, and, uh, and probably micros. So just take a look at uh, the first uh, two examples of uh, having a whole uh, a basin to put the water in versus just uh, watering around and just squirting the water over the ground with a, with a sprinkler on the end of a hose. It's, uh, it's really difficult to successfully apply enough water to a plant to water it thoroughly by hand, uh, in my experience. You probably need to come forward and backward to that one plant mm. three or four times over the period of 40 minutes or so to, to physically get enough water into the soil at a rate that the soil will take up that water that you're applying. So by containing the water within a, within a moat or within a boundary, you're effectively applying a larger amount of water that will slowly work its way into the soil, moving both vertically and horizontally via capillary action with the soil particles. And you may need to fill up that basin two or three times to get the water down far enough. So it's really just a method of containment and, and it works pretty well, certainly with new plants where the, where the root zone is quite contained uh, within sort of the pot shape um, plus a bit from when you planted it. But over time, that, that moat or that boundary would need to extend further out. Now, Peter from Nailsworth is rung in on 1300 222 891 with a question for you, Richard. Good morning, Peter. Yeah, yeah good morning. Um, Richard, look, I've converted all my individual drippers to uh, the brown dripper pipe, um, you know, that's got all the multiple ho 
holes in it. The, and I'm in heavy clay soil here in Nailsworth. The problem I have is it's very hard for me to determine how long to put those super pipes on for to, um, without either overwatering and causing an oxygen problem in the plants or underwatering and drying them out. And I, I really struggle with that uh, uh, equation, I suppose. Uh, you and me and the rest of us, I reckon. <laughs> <laughs> hi, hi, Peter. Uh, I I also use that brown dripper pipe and and have done for twenty years, and and it is when when working correctly, it is it is hard to beat for um, most uh, irrigation of general garden beds, fruit trees, and the likes. Certainly in a domestic situation, I have heavy soil as well, not as heavy as you, but it is still a heavy soil type in the inner southern suburbs and I water for one and a half hours at a time with my brown inline dripper pipe. In weather like this, I might water twice a week but most of the time I water less frequently than that. I generally let my garden tell me when it's starting to battle away a bit and I use an indicator plant. So I've got one plant that shows the signs of water stress before the others I keep my eye on that. When it shows a little bit of stress, I water the lot. I don't suppose your indicator plants are hydrangea. <laughs> <laughs> Here we uh, go. No, no. <laughs> but it, that would that would if that were the case, I'd be watering my garden way too often. <laughs> uh, I'm waiting for somebody to send in a text and saying, uh, "Listen, uh, Lee's got to talk his his wife into into putting in corals. They'll give you a colour." Oh, she's not the um, hydrangea queen. It's me. It's I'm the you. hydrangea king. Oh, I, I love my hydrangeas, <laughs> but I can see they take a lot of water and they are a lot of work. And However, Gail on the text line says, I'm with Lee. Love my hydrangeas, <laughs> says Gail, from Geelong. So we have a listener in Geelong this morning. So welcome to you. Yeah, we've and got Gail. lots of listeners this morning, haven't we? Broken yeah. Hill's on the board. Uh, yes, we've got the entire state of South Australia, oh, Western wonderful. New South Wales, Broken Hill. Well, it's, we want some calls happening. and questions if you can get in. Getting lots of texts through on 0467 John, are we can go to some of those in a moment, but um, back to you. Yes, let's take a look now at the irrigation systems. You can either have a, a nice basin of water, a basin around your plants, and I think that's tremendously important when you're first establishing plants. But uh, we move on to our micro-irrigation systems, and you mentioned before that in your garden you successfully use that brown hose that has little uh, uh, holes in it, and uh, could you just... Talk briefly about uh, what you need to be mindful of if you're installing that in terms of uh, how close the holes are and maybe how much water comes out of a hole and how you actually then figure out uh, how much water or how long you put on the, uh, the, the, the water through that hose to water your, your particular plants. There's a wide range of uh, questions you're asking there in that one uh, in that one short question, John. But All in two the, uh, minutes. <laughs> the, the 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 dripper pipe is made uh, with um, drippers that are seam welded onto the pipe as the pipe is extruded. So the holes in the pipe aren't just a punched hole. They're a, they're a fancy technical, um, often a pressure compensating, flow controlled device. They they really are a high quality product there. Uh, they tend to be anti-siphon these days. Some have um, root barriers or a chemical um, as part of the dripper pipe that excludes roots uh, from around the dripper pipe. It's a fancy product. Um, 
the 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 product we typically use in domestic gardens in Adelaide, the drippers are spaced thirty centimeters apart, right. and typically <clears throat> you'd have row spacings of around forty centimeters apart. They may need to be a bit closer together down at uh, down at the beach where sandy soils tend to drain through quite easily. But on heavier soil types, the the drippers as they uh, the as the dripper emits into the ground, it leaves a a little saucer plate uh, size footprint on the surface, but makes a teardrop or onion shape of water underground, where the water moves both vertically and horizontally. All right. And what's the average um, uh, emission? Or, uh, how much water comes out of a hole? Uh, the 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 two main flow rates that people would come across are either 1.6 litres an hour or 2 litres an hour. And certainly for heavier soils, um, and certainly uh, in some of the suburbs in Adelaide where it's very heavy soils, I would not have a flow rate any higher than that. There, there are flow rates of 4 and more litres an hour, but for most soil types, that's that's going to be a little too much. So if you've got a rose and you want to water your rose and it comes out at two litres an hour, uh, you're going to need 10, 10 dripper holes, is it? Yeah. No? <laughs> you figure it out. I'm awful on, on those kind of I, things. I don't tend to think of the number of dripper holes. <laughs> I, I tend to think about the row spacing and where the root zone of that plant is. Uh-huh. Um, the, the the roots for that rose may be 50, 60 or more centimetres out from the uh, stem and they may reach down 50 centimetres. So it's it's quite a big surface area. So I don't worry about uh, watering individual areas to make sure everything's uh, covered that way. I water the surface evenly uh, uh, over that entire uh, square meterage and as the drippers move down, as the water moves down and moves horizontally, the roots will certainly access where that water's uh, been supplied. Now, in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you if you'd like a copy of the ABC Gardening Australia magazine to give us a ring. That'll be in about 10 minutes' time, so please do stay tuned. But let's go back to the phone lines now, John and Richard. Um, let's go to Wallaroo. Jeff's on the line. Good morning, Jeff. Good day. How are you going, fellas? Well, thanks. What's your question for Richard, Jeff? Good. Um, I've got about an acre and a half paddock out the back of my place that I'm planting out with native gums. I've got them on drip systems. When when I first put them in, they're small. The drippers obviously have to be close to the plant. As the tree gets bigger and the root system gets wider, will it still take up the water just as well from the drippers if they're close to the trunk or should I be moving them further out? Good, good day, Jeff. I, I would move them further out and you'll also need to put in more of them. As the plant grows, as, the, as your uh, yeah. trees grow, they'll, they'll require more water. So uh, more drippers means you can water for the same length of time or alternatively you just need to water for much longer. Um, and Much use yeah. use a couple of extra drippers, but I would certainly move them out. If you think about where the drip line is of the um, of the leaves, that's where most of the active feeder roots are, and where where you'll get the most value for your water. Good okay, on you, thanks Jeff. for that. Thank no you for your call this morning. Appreciate that. Now let's go to Geelong because Gail has given us a ring on one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Good morning to you, Gail in Geelong. Good morning. Now, what's your question for Richard? 
Um, we're heading away on holidays for a week or two, and I've got a mixture of I've got a spray system throughout the garden. I've got a mixture of my hydrangea, which I love, which has got a specially built shade cover over it. On you, um, Gail. <laughs> I had to throw that in there this morning. Um, I should send you. I could send you a picture, but it's, I don't think the text is accepting pictures at the moment. No. But I've got a bit of everything spread throughout the garden, and I've got lawn as well. And I'm just trying to work out: do I set it to go morning and night? Do I do it sort of three-minute runs over a period of time to let a bit sink in? Do I let it go morning, night? How do I know that I'm still going to have a live garden when I get home in about ten days? recognising we're expecting 30-plus heat for the next few. Hi, hi, Gail. Thank you for ringing um, Adelaide. Um, I would, um, I think one of the things with irrigation and going on holidays is, is you just need to take the pain and water a little more than you otherwise would. That caters yep. for changes in the weather um, whilst you're away. And when I'm away, I just want to enjoy myself. I don't want to be thinking about what's happening at home. Um, all that much. So I, I think I would tend to uh, water on the uh, maybe a bit more frequently and for a bit longer than you typically would than when you are there. Then you then you can be confident that it's going to get at least enough. As far as, far as your lawn goes, I, I wouldn't worry about my lawn for um, for two or three weeks while I was away. I, I just wouldn't wouldn't worry about that It'll all that come much. Back. It, it will, and <laughs> and a healthy a healthy lawn that's well fertilised with deep roots. If you water it really, really well before you go, I water my grass every eighteen days, whether it needs it or not. And I have to mow it every week, and it's green as green. And and um, you know, I'm very miserly with the water, but I, I wouldn't give that a second thought. No so when you're watering your lawn with this pop-up sprays, do you give it like a good 20-minute soak once every, what would you say, 18 days or once a week or whatever, or do you give it a few short soaks so it's sort of in, soak, in, soak, in, soak? If, if it, it depends if there's water running off, Gail. If, if, you've got the, um, if you've got water pooling up or running off, you might run those uh, cycles uh, with a half an hour gap in between. But I'd try and apply it all. Uh, during the same watering session. So on the same evening or on the same day, maybe a couple of bursts in the morning and a couple of bursts at night. Um, and and I would be, even with the pop-up sprays that we were discussing earlier, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be making sure if you're going to go away for two or three weeks that, that it got half an hour or even 40 minutes over the period of one day. Right. Sounds a good plan. Can set that up. Good, good on you, Gail. Gail. Have a great holiday. And thanks Thank for your you. call from Geelong. Not a problem. Thank for your ongoing advice. It's worth it's worth listening to Adelaide. Fantastic. We we really appreciate it. And in actual fact, getting a few texts from other places now. Um, one one text here says, "Hi guys, I've listened to your gardening show from Adelaide for fifteen years or so. I continue to listen every week now from Echuca and Moama in New South Wales." Says Angela. So good on you, Angela. Great to have you still on board. Um, another one that caught my eye too, Richard, was I don't have any questions for Richard, but thank. Thank you for having him on. I learned so much just listening to him, says Sue from Belair. So she's obviously a fan. Um, but I do have a question with you uh, for you, Richard, off the text line from Rachel at Cherry Gardens. She's apparently had some trouble getting through on the phone line. Not sure why that is. But um, wants to know about pressure-reducing valves. Oh, we've got her on. We've actually, we do have her on the line now. Rachel, good morning to you. Hello, good morning. Thank you. Yeah, look, it's really high pressure up here. Um, we've got, um, we're lucky to have mains water, but it's right off a really big main. 
and um, I'm watering from a point where it, uh, the origin of that um, water supply right down to the bottom of the garden's about 20 metres lower. Um, and um, because of the high pressure, I'm just really interested in whether I should, it would be helpful to regulate pressure with a reducing valve, but I have no experience with them. Hi, hi, Rachel. That That is a very good question. And what what is true is for pretty much every irrigation setup that I would install these days, I would use a pressure regulating valve. The idea being that pretty much regardless of the pressure coming in up to a point, it'll regulate the pressure going out so that the the emitters that you have running on that zone are operating within the manufacturer's specifications. So I would certainly be talking to someone about the type of emitters you have and what pressure regulator should go on each zone. The high pressure that's uh, being delivered to your house, on the other hand, there you may need a pressure limiting valve. And you would speak to your plumber about that. They would measure the static pressure of the water that's coming in, take into account the 20 metre um, uh, height difference between the inlet point and your distribution point, And they may recommend a pressure uh, limiting valve for the entire house or your yard or both. And then you would use pressure regulating valves for each irrigation zone or area or station. Rachel, thank thank you for your call and hope hope that helps. Now, John Lamb, I'm determined to ask you about you watering your 200 pots before this program is over today. But let's take one more call for for Richard and uh, and let's go back to country South Australia. Chris from Winky is on the line. Hello, Chris. Oh, good morning, you, Richard. Good morning, John. What's your question, Chris? Um. I've bought a, a little box of those water-drying little granule things. Are they okay for um, hanging baskets? Just tell me what you've bought there, Chris. Uh, uh, the little water-drying, water-drying, water-saving. Uh, water um, water water-absorbing. Oh, oh, oh. It's like having little sponges, but they're like a little gel which you put into your soil and it swells up holds onto the water and the roots sort of suck out the moisture and it dries out. When you wet it yeah, again, it. they go back, yeah. back oh, again. Chris, they, they are a great product. And people, uh, people who are potting up, particularly in pots, people who are potting up um, or repotting or, um, or transplanting from one spot to another, those, those uh, crystals are, are fantastic. They, they do biodegrade over time, um, and it's not something you overdo, but they are a great thing. Use as it's written on the box. Mix it into your yeah. potting mix before you um, put it in your hanging basket, and that can give you another day before the uh, plant needs watering, sometimes two, depending on the volume of potting mix. Yeah, yeah, because I was watering them all as you were talking about how to water, and I must admit... I use a hose and just walk around and water them all. And some of the water is just virtually as soon as I put the water on, it's running straight through. Well, you, you'd also so, be thinking about um, a soil wetting agent to see if you can um, spread that water out over the surface of the pot and through the potting mixture a bit better. And when you when you repot next time, um, just make sure you mix some of those water-holding crystals in into the new potting mixture that, that you're using. Premium potting mixtures do have those crystals within them, um, as do some of oh, the um, planting what, that's what materials. I, that's what I buy. Mm, good, 
Well, top it up with a little bit of what you've got and you'll have the um, perfect thing. <laughs> My mother swears by them. Chris from Winky, thanks for your call this morning. Now, we're uh, we're coming up to rapidly towards the end of the program. I've got two Gardening Australian magazines to give away this morning. If you'd like a free copy from us, one three hundred triple two eight nine one one three hundred triple two eight nine one. Go to it if you'd like a copy of our Gardening Australia magazine giveaways this morning. But I'm busting John Lamb to ask you about how in the dickens you water 200 pots at your place and keep them all alive. I had a a long uh, discussion, but I'm not going to provide that simply because Richard's here and I think it's more important that people listen to what Richard's got to say. But just very quickly, yeah, I have about 200 plants in a courtyard, probably 20 by 10. um, And my aim is to find plants which will give you colour in the shade. And so that's why I've got so many plants. Now, a little bit different, a third of the plants would be double potted. In other words, I have lovely decorative containers and then I put my pot plants inside that. And just one section of the garden. Now, what I do, the way I water, I've got two taps, one at either end of the garden, and next to those are 40-litre containers, you know, black plastic you know, containers that you store things in, and one at either end. And you can get six large containers in each one. And so what I do is I half fill the containers... And I don't put the water over the plants. I put the plants, I put the pot and the container ah, in the 40 litre container, okay. which is only half full. Yep. And so the water only comes up probably a half to two thirds of the height of the container, and the water wicks up underneath it. That way you can't overwater, but you know that when the water gets to the top, Everything has been wetted thoroughly. Mm. And it also means that because you haven't put water uh, in the top third of the container, but there's moisture there because it's wicked up, you've still got air left in there. And we haven't talked about the importance of having air in the root system (laughs) as well as water. And so this wicking up underneath it. And so I do that with my big plants and with small plants. I've got four smaller containers uh, and they have about 10 litres of water. And I do the same thing. And so I have uh, these decorative containers where I display plants and Mm. they might be 60 centimetres wide, 30 centimetres deep. And inside that I can put four 20 centimetre wide containers full of coleus or begonias or whatever it might be, uh, impatience at the moment. And so it, it just looks like one great big plant. But I take them out, I put four in, and I've got four containers, so I do about 16 at a time. And, I mean, I, I'm a, a nutter. So, <laughs> <laughs> Self-confessed. Oh, but but, I, but I'm, I'm, I'm learning from what I do. And, and Genius, so, John Lamb. Because yeah, no, anyway. I was imagining you very painstakingly watering 200 pots, and I'm thinking, no, and, and you've and got to be crazy. <laughs> if you do it, say, 16 at a time, and I do it morning, uh, morning, hmm. uh, morning tea time at lunchtime, and I've virtually watered all the small plants, and it takes two days to do the big plants plants, but, you know, same way, Um, and I have a lot of fun. The important thing is I learn. I can see every plant and I can see every caterpillar or aphid, (laughs) and so... Nothing gets past you, John, (laughs) ma'am. Now, I'm pleased to tell you this morning that the winners for our Gardening Australia magazine, Steve from Peterborough up in the north. Thank you for your call, Steve. Congratulations to you, and Anne from Strathalbyn is our other lucky contestant. We'll get these Gardening Australia magazines out to you ASAP. Now, Richard, we can't let you go without another question. We've got Paul on the line from Murray Bridge. Good morning, Paul. We've just moved there, and the previous owner spent $2,000 on excess water bill. So 
we have sandy loam. You've been talking about heavy soils mainly, but we have uh, brown cooch grass, and I've poured millions of dollars worth of water on it, and it's just still brown. Uh, hi, Paul. Do you have any advice? Hi, Paul. Hi. Thanks, thanks for your question. On, on a sandy loam, you will need to water um, more frequently. Um, so one of the things you would think about, uh, can I ask if you've got an automatic watering system or you're putting a sprinkler out on the end of a hose? The latter. Right. I would, um, I would get some tin cans and I would put them out, uh, maybe four or five of them over your lawn area, and then water your lawn as you normally would. Try not to change your behaviour in any way and then measure the depth of water that you've caught in those cans at the, the end of the period. Um, that'll right. tell you if you are watering for long enough. So you would be looking to apply somewhere around the 18 to 20 millimetres equivalent depth of water. Um, if, the, if the grass okay. is not changing colour, it may require more than just more water. You may have a uh, non-wetting soil, which you may, may need to overcome with a soil wetting agent. You may need to provide some nutrition um, to that turf in the form of a quality fertiliser from a manufacturer that you, that you know that makes a, a specialty turf fertiliser. Um, and water that in deeply as well, because you need to put the nutrient down into the uh, root zone where the, um, where the moisture is and put it into the soil solution. Thank you, Paul, for your call from Murray Bridge. We've got less than two minutes left. I just wanted to mention quickly because a fellow hydrangea lover on the text line says, hydrangea lovers must check out the Aravena Winery at Margaret River. Last week we saw some hydrangeas two metres high. Just stunning. Absolutely. I've got one that's just over two metres high and, and it is stunning. stunning, yeah, and there we are. <laughs> well, take us home, John Lamb. Yeah, OK, so uh, just coming back to that last call, in terms of saving water and water use, um, we haven't talked about today quite deliberately... Um, it's organic matter in the soil and organic matter on the soil. So if you put organic matter in the soil before you plant, you mulch your plant after you've planted, you'll reduce your water use by 15 to 20%. Then if you want to, last week we were talking about the value of shade. If you can shade your plants, shade, a plant in the shade will use 50% less water than a plant in the sun. And so uh, moving your plants, if you can, in containers out of the sun is a very, very effective way of looking after your plants and saving water. Richard Wilson he introduced uh, two wonderful products, uh, the uh, water-saving, uh, 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 water-wetting uh, agents and also the crystals for uh, mm. uh, watering, uh, holding onto your water. And so th many thanks for your contribution, Richard, and look forward to next time when we can have another big session. And until next week, um, when we talk vegetables, good gardening.